Good morning, good afternoon, que pasa, mi amigos, me llamo Wendell Wallace, standing amongst the tallest, here to talk about a podcast named Wendell's World in Sports, a show talking about what is happening on the basketball of courts, the football of fields, to reveal my thoughts and opinions and otherworldly dimensions about what is happening in the everyday of college basketball, my Georgetown Hoyas and the NBA, to talk about who's doing poorly, who's doing well in college football and the NFL for Monsieur's. And my Mademoiselles. Born and raised from the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. and Montgomery County, M.D., this skillful sports talking MC will take you on a sports field expedition that will leave you with no other decision than to make listening to Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast, your main mission. Treasure the pleasure together as I discuss the important sports topics that are a must and crush and destroy it like the New England Patriots or Pittsburgh Steelers pass rush. TJ, watch out for the next episode and make sure you download, subscribe with great pride so people will highly rate along with giving great reviews to create clues for people to follow so this podcast can remain the king like LeBron through yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I'm going to be speaking about the NBA. I'm going to be speaking about my Georgetown Hoyas. I'm going to be speaking about the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James. I'm going to be speaking about the Eastern Conference in the NBA. I'm going to be speaking about all those things. I'm going to to start off this podcast, man. If you're a fan of the Brooklyn Nets, how are you feeling right now? On the one hand, you have to be feeling ecstatic. I'm recording this on a Monday afternoon, so Brooklyn plays tonight. I forgot who they're playing. But um, if you're the fan of the Brooklyn Nets and you saw that game against the Milwaukee Bucks over the weekend, you have to be somewhat ecstatic about what you saw. You have to be excited about what you saw. On the other hand, the next day, when you watch the New York Knicks play the Philadelphia 76ers, you also have to be disgusted in a way of what you saw. It had nothing to do with how good or bad the 76ers are, but if you see James Harden play, if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan and you're sitting there and you're watching James Harden do what he's doing after the last couple of moments he was a member of the Brooklyn Nets and you see him basically tanking it, you see him basically quitting on your team, there has to be some type of anger boiling up inside of you, regardless of what happens short and long term with the Ben Simmons deal. You have to be concerned about a situation With Ben Simmons, when's he going to get back on the court? When is he going to be at 100%? Or when is he going to be the player that's going to be able to have the Brooklyn Nets elevate past their current status in the Eastern Conference and be true NBA, not just Eastern Conference champions, but also NBA champions. So when Ben Simmons, who is going to be an integral part of what the Charlotte, excuse me, about what the Brooklyn Nets are doing. When is he going to get up to speed? When is he going to play? You have to circle now. I'm recording this on the 28th of February. You're going to have to sit there and say, hey, man, 
by the, by March 10th, when Brooklyn goes to Philadelphia and plays the 76ers, Ben Simmons has got to be there. I, I, I don't know anything about the mental illness situation. I don't know what he's dealing with in terms of his overall mental health and physical health, if, if he's going to be ready in either situations to get out there and play against the 76ers. But hey, man, it's about time that uh, Ben Simmons, and again, I don't want to sit here and start evaluating Ben Simmons in terms of his health. I don't know anything about his mental health issues. I don't know what the status is with his mental health issues, and I don't want to make light or look down or chastise someone who's dealing with mental health issues in terms of you need to hurry up and get back on the basketball court and the hell with your mental issues. So I want to stay far away from that. But man, if I'm Kevin Durant, if I'm Steve Nash, if I'm the, the Brooklyn Nets, man, we, we need you. We need you. We need you to start rolling. We need you to start going right now. Now, the move for the Brooklyn Nets and trading James Harden, the disgruntled, James Harden, a guy who quit on the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden trading him to the 76ers for Ben Simmons. In the long run, as I mentioned before on my last podcast, this is a situation where Philadelphia might win the battle, but long term, Brooklyn's going to win the war because you're going to be dealing with a guy in Ben Simmons who, even though James Harden is an offensive wizard and an offensive genius and one of the greatest one-on-one basketball players of all time, in my opinion, even though you're going to be getting this guy for right now for the Philadelphia 76ers long-term, three, four, five years down the road, man, you could be looking at a situation where you're going to have a better player all around in Ben Simmons making much more money and his skill set fit perfectly or more adaptable to what the Brooklyn Nets were doing by trying to outscore everybody by having the trio of James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. So so long-term... The, the deal might be fine, but we're not looking at the long term, man. None of us is promised tomorrow. Hey, man, if we live another second, if we live another minute, if we live another hour, if we live another day, thank the Lord or anybody that you praise to, if you praise to anybody. But no one is guaranteed that we'll be around one year from now, five years from now, in terms of to evaluate exactly how this trade happened. Not just concerning me, you, or fans of Brooklyn or fans of Philadelphia or Daryl Morey or Steve Nash or Doc Rivers or Joel Embiid or Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or Joe Sy or or uh, or Elton Brand or Daryl Morey or any of those guys. It could be a situation also where we could be taking a look at Ben Simmons and James Harden. There's no guarantee that those guys are still going to be members of that team, their respective teams, as of right now, three, four, five years down the road. So we're just taking a look at the at the right here and now that the Philadelphia 76ers coming out to shoot, they look fantastic. They look great. James Harden, miraculously, his his hamstring seemed to be A-OK. All of a sudden now, he seemed to be looking like he uh, shed a few pounds. All of a sudden now, this guy's going out there and dropping triple doubles like he's Ice Cube on another, on another day. He's messing around and getting triple doubles as he did against the New York Knicks. So, so far, the duo of Joel Embiid and James Harden seem to be going fine and blending in very nicely with Tyrese Mikesy, who the last couple of games has seemed to raise and elevate his game even better. We're taking a look at some of the pieces already seamlessly fitting in for the 76ers. So if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, you're taking a look at this and you're saying, hey man, we need to go ahead and we need to check the checkmate in which what the Philadelphia 76ers are doing in terms of the way they're playing right now. But Kevin Durant's out. He's going to come back, we believe, soon. But 
there has been no update. We don't know anything about Ben Simmons. And if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan who wants to win right now, who wants to show James Harden, you know what, go screw yourself because you know what, you didn't want to be a part of this team because it's going to knock your punk ass out of the playoffs. If you're going to have that type of attitude, if you're going to have that type of passion, you need Ben Simmons. You're going to need Ben Simmons, and you're going to need Ben Simmons' hell. If he ain't going to be the Ben Simmons of a guy who had made multiple all-star teams and has been one of the better defenders in the league, one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, a guy who can be a point forward, a guy who can set up the offense, a guy who can get Kyrie and KD really great shots. We're not going to get the ultimate of Ben Simmons who hadn't played basketball and going on what now, seven, eight, nine months. We're not going to get that Ben Simmons, which I don't think we're going to get to, even if he decides that he's going to play tomorrow, March 1st, after the long layoff, after what he's been going through in terms of dealing with his mental health and such. I don't think we're going to get the Ben Simmons, but if we can get you know, to the playoffs and get 65, 70, 75% of Ben Simmons of what we're hoping that the um, Philadelphia, excuse me, that the Brooklyn Nets are hoping to get in Ben Simmons ultimately down the road for the long term, then that's going to be optimal for the Brooklyn Nets to cash in and uh, do some things in the playoffs. Even with, even with Kyrie Irving in the situation that he's in right now and now there's some situations speaking about, you know, New York might be doing some things with COVID, might, which uh, might give him an opportunity to play all the games. And Kevin Durant, normally when he comes back from injuries, whether it be big, small, or major, that he uh, picks up right where he left off, left off. So last time we checked, I know it's been a little bit, but when he sustained that injury on January 15th, I think it was against the, uh, I think it was against the Orlando Magic, right? I think it was against the Magic, but... When he sustained that injury, I mean, he was arguably one of the top three, four players in the game. Joel Embiid has consistently been the best player in the game. Nikola Jokic has consistently been the best player in the game. You might not know it because the Denver Nuggets are middling right now um, in the Western Conference, even though the record are a few games above 500. But without Jamal Murray and without Michael Porter Jr., they, they've been off the radar because they don't play in New York. They don't play in Los Angeles. They don't have LeBron James. They don't have the cachet. But Jokic has been even better individually this season as he was last season when he won the MVP. Giannis had been Giannis, a two-time MVP winner. He's been... Uh, He's been dominant, but right in that mix until he got injured on January 15th was Kevin Durant. And you could even make the case, you can make the strong case that along with Embiid, that Kevin Durant was the guy that was the best player in the league. So when you get that player back for the Brooklyn Nets, yippee yay yay cowboy motherfuckers. But you know what? It's just a matter of, hey man, Ben Simmons has got to be there and Ben Simmons has got to be something in terms of being close to Ben Simmons for the Brooklyn Nets to uh, do anything against the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, with the 76ers moving forward again, you know, after the first two games that they played on Friday, this past Friday against the um, Minnesota Timberwolves, and then over the weekend against the New York Knicks in the way, as I mentioned before, how well Embiid and James Harden played with each other. You might be sitting there talking about, well, you know, NBA championship parade on Broad Street, because you take a look at those two guys, all of a sudden, James Harden went from a guy who looked old, fat, injured, sloppy, and out of shape, to all of a sudden now, a guy who is playing 
again, only two games. Again, only two games. But if he can keep that type of uh, level of play up, you're speaking about a guy now who's arguably, what, anywhere between six and nine or ten as far as best players in the NBA, somewhere around there. Might argue about the five number five somewhere around there maybe the best perimeter guy maybe the, maybe the best backcourt guy in the nba the way that he's playing right now if he can keep that up for the remainder of the season and be Jokic, post guys Giannis, de facto post guy but you know steph curry is falling off just a little bit maybe you could put in john Morant, but in just in terms of guys from the backcourt position who are playing fantastic if james harden can continue with the consistency that he's played at over the first two games for Philadelphia against the Timberwolves and against the New York Knicks and having Joel Embiid there is going to give him the opportunity to do so, well, then you're taking a look at a Philadelphia 76ers team that is no joke when it comes to the playoffs. Now, the next hurdle for Philadelphia moving forward now is going to be a situation where can we get that James Harden that we're seeing right now that we saw for a portion of time before he got injured with his hamstring in Brooklyn last year, a guy who was arguably top two or three as far as MVPs and NBA, you know, best players during this time when he was at Houston. Can he translate the game? Can he translate his game from the regular season in terms of his dominance, in terms of his importance, in terms of his impact? Can he take his game from what he was doing in the regular season And then move it over and do the same thing in the playoffs. Because that's where the issues have been for James Harden. And if you take a look at some of the flameouts that he's had when he was with the Houston Rockets being the main man. Um, He was injured with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. So he gutted it out. He showed a lot of heart. But, you know, because of his injury, it mitigated what he could do as far as his impact is concerned. So I'm still looking for a James Harden to bring the type of game that he's been playing when he was with Houston and now the first couple of games with the Philadelphia 76ers and even what he showed when he first got to Brooklyn and got into shape. Maybe it was a situation where he was trying to, you know, erase or put some perfume on the stench of how he left the Houston Rockets. And maybe this is a situation where, again, he's trying to uh, make people quickly forget in terms of his play and in terms of his demeanor, in terms of his attitude the last few moments he was member he was a member of the Brooklyn Nets now playing with the Philadelphia 76ers he's coming out like gangbusters and trying very quickly to have people forget how porous his professionalism and his attitude and quite frankly his effort and play was with the Brooklyn Nets maybe you know this is a situation maybe that's his motivation but he's going to have to show it in the playoffs because there's been countless numbers of time when Houston was playing in the Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors. A situation in Game 6 it was against the San Antonio Spurs, I believe in the second round of the uh, Western Conference Finals, wearing a home game with uh, Kawhi Leonard out for the San Antonio Spurs that Harden went 2 for 11. And after the game and after they were eliminated later on that night, he was seen at a, um, he was seen at a club dancing the night away. So it's a situation where, hey man, you're going to have to kind of prove it to me. Mentioned it before. There should be enough motivation for James Harden, a man who has accomplished everything that he can individually in the game of basketball and even 
team-wise in the game of basketball in the NBA. He's been to an NBA Finals. He's won the sixth man of the year. He's been an MVP. He's been an all-star. He's been an all-NBA player. The only thing that he hasn't done is been on one of the all-NBA defensive teams, and we know that ain't coming anytime soon. But just in terms of the final piece to his career, if you're speaking about James Harden, a man who has won a gold medal with the 2012 U.S. Olympic team, a man who has won scoring titles, a man who's going to go down in just in his generation as one of the best players of his generation. The only thing now that's left for him to do, and I think as far as his optimal prime is concerned, along with Joel Embiid, is this year, next year, and possibly the year after that. So he's going to possibly, his best chances are going to come the next three seasons. He's got to do something. He's got to win a championship. He's got to win two championships to really validate him as one of the greatest guards in NBA history and one of the, I don't know, if Harden wins a championship or two, let's just say, for instance, Harden wins a couple of championships and he's not riding the coattails of Joel Embiid. Maybe Joel Embiid and James Harden are going to be this generation's at least for a short amount of time, for a short amount of time, for a two-year, two- or three-year stretch They're going to be the Kobe and Shaq in terms of that inside-outside dominance in terms of the effect that it had on winning championships. Let's just say that Harden and Embiid have that type of on-court chemistry and uh, on-court effectiveness to them. You're taking a look at James Harden now, who all of a sudden, when he's going to be making $62 million a year and 37 years old, and he's going to be having one of the worst contracts in NBA history, this is going to still going to be a guy because he won those two championships when he did with Joel Embiid. This is a guy who could be going down as what, maybe top 20 all time? As far as guards are concerned, one of the best guards of all time? Taking a look at a shooting guard position, maybe only Kobe, MJ, and D-Wade possibly. Maybe maybe a situation where well, D-Wade won four championships. But I mean, maybe a situation where you can make an argument after Kobe, after uh, MJ, after maybe Jerry West, maybe you could be sitting there having an argument for number three being James Harden if he won these two championships, if he won a couple of championships. So his, his legacy is truly on the line when you're speaking about Harden moving forward. Is that going to be his motivation? And again, if you're the Brooklyn Nets with Ben Simmons coming back, how much can Ben Simmons provide the Brooklyn Nets in terms of responsibility and impact for them to say, you know what, motherfucker, not only did we win this trade short-term, we're definitely going to win it long-term. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir. Que pasa, mi amigos, mi llamo Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good abend. Bonjour, bonsoir, as I mentioned before. Konnichiwa, shalom, wassalamu alaikum, namaste, Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell Wallace here speaking about what is happening in the NBA real quickly. <laughs> Who the Los Angeles Lakers? Boy, were they embarrassed? Were they? Were they? Em- if you're living on the East Coast, or if you're living in Paris, if you're living in London, England, if you're living anywhere in Europe, if you're living in Australia, if you're living anywhere where you had to watch that game or you wanted to watch that game, I don't know what would it be in London in the middle of the night or whatever. If you stayed up because you wanted to watch LeBron James play and you saw that dreck, you saw that embarrassment, you saw that 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 the roadkill, which was the effort of the Los Angeles Lakers, the performance of the Los Angeles Lakers against the New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> Whew, man, that wasn't good. That wasn't good. Uh, uh, this 
Lakers season, this Lakers season is quickly becoming that train wreck or that car crash that you see on the side of the side of the road, and you want to stop and you just want to take a look at it, and you can't veer away from it because it was bad, it was ugly. Now you know LeBron and Westbrook and Trevor Reza were getting into it with some of the fans. I I, I don't know exactly what the fans said, and you could sit there and say that you know the. The players need to show some decorum. The players need to show some restraint. Well, you know what? It depends on what these folks are saying. These people are only human. And and just because they make millions upon millions of dollars and just because they're brands and just because they play a game of basketball and just because they have God-given gifts that, you know, 0.005% of the population in the world don't have, depending on what these people say, you don't, you don't mention, you don't say anything. Basically, you don't say anything to me in my face. You don't say anything, you know, from the stands or something like that that you wouldn't say to my face. Because I'm quite sure the idiots that were yelling some shit at Trevor Arisa and LeBron and all that type of stuff, I don't think they were saying that you're my hero and way to go, Billy Joe. Something told me that, you know what, if those guys were face-to-face with each other, if LeBron, if the, the heckler or whoever was making those comments to Ariza and Westbrook and LeBron, if... They were in their faces, man to man, even though they probably couldn't be called men if they're going to be doing that type of stuff, probably wouldn't be talking that shit. So, you know, a coward could say some bullshit that could rile up. I'm quite sure many, I'm quite sure Russell Westbrook and Trevor Ariza and LeBron, especially LeBron and Westbrook, man, they've heard it all. You suck. You can't play. You're a joke. The team's going down. Uh... You know, you can't be stopped. Maybe it was a little bit ornery because, A, they were getting embarrassed and getting their ass kicked by the Pelicans, and this is a home crowd, and maybe LeBron and Westbrook are expecting that type of stuff when they go on the road. But damn, man, you really we're going to be at home and you're going to be giving me some crap like that? So maybe that was a situation that might have escalated their emotions to, uh, to respond and say something. But uh, they deserve to get booed. At the end of that game, they, they were being booed, and rightly so. Rightly so. And it was a frustrating night. Now, how are they going to rebound from that? Who's going to take the fall from that? How are they going to, you know, continue with the season? Especially when you're taking a look at Russell Westbrook, a guy who was handpicked by LeBron and Anthony Davis, talked into by Rob Polinka, or uh, was Rob Polinka was talked into getting Russell Westbrook by LeBron and Anthony Davis, and there was a situation where, look, we know Russell uh, can't shoot, and we know all of his deficiencies, and we know how much money he makes, and I know what how much we're going to have to give up to uh, possibly get Westbrook to make it fit under the salary cap, but don't worry about it. I'm LeBron James. I've turned chicken shit into chicken salad many times, and Russell Westbrook is far from chicken shit. If you saw what he did the second half, of the season for the Washington Wizards, I can get this done. If I can turn J.R. Smith around and make an NBA champion out of him or have him be a contributor to us winning a championship in Cleveland, I can take somebody like Russell Westbrooks with all of his faults, with all of his ill-fitting pieces as a player. I'm LeBron James. I'm the man. I can make it work. Well, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked at all. And Russell Westbrook, as many people were thinking and counting on has been horrendous so now LeBron goes to the all-star game and he starts speaking about oh you know um Sam Presti is the man and 
you know, he's done a great job and this, that, and the other. And there were reports, as I mentioned before in my last podcast, about there was a trade possibility for the Lakers to get John Wall, who was a clutch client, and uh, trade Russell Westbrook and trade a 2027 first-round pick from L.A. to uh, go ahead and get John Wall. And as I mentioned before, that's the guy that you're counting on to save the season. That's going to be the guy. That's the guy that's going to turn this team around. All of a sudden now, teams like the Miami Heat and teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets and the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns, all of a sudden now, the whole the whole narrative in terms of who has a realistic chance of winning the championship, all of a sudden now you have to include the Los Angeles Lakers because they acquired they acquired John Wall, a guy who has played just as many minutes as Ben Simmons. And it's not because John Wall is suffering from some type of mental injury or physical injury. John Wall hasn't played. Well, he's looked good in practice. My man hasn't played in an NBA game this season. And he's going to be the one that's going to come in and rescue you guys after the performance. So, it, with the, so those guys are butthurt about that. So there might be some carryover from the fact that, hey, GD Buss and the uh, upper management correctly told the Lakers, look, man, you, you were the guys who basically constituted this team to be put together. You were the guys that said, I'll make it work. You were the guys that were like, when I say you guys, I meant LeBron because who else really counts when it comes to the Lakers in terms of making moves, especially having the impact or having the responsibility. LeBron, number one, AD, number two. So basically, Jeannie Busson, Palenka, and those guys were like, no, no, we're not going to go out here and save your ass. No, you need to do this. The last time, LeBron, that we listened to you in terms of what we need to do and we need to do this and we need to do that, uh, you got you got us Russell Westbrook, or we made the move for Russell Westbrook. Now, in the last six months, you're telling us that we need to trade him, and if we don't, if we can't do this, that is my fault, but somehow, someway, this is my fault. Somehow, someway, this season that's going down the toilet is my fault. You're going down the toilet, and I'm supposed to be the one, I'm the one responsible for... Uh, putting that shit in the toilet bowl and flushing the toilet. I'm the one who's responsible for that. We could have had Buddy healed, LeBron. We could have done something at the trade deadline if we would have had Kyle Kuzma, if we would have had KCP, if we would have had some of these other pieces. We would have had a much more balanced team if we would have gone ahead and paid Alex Caruso. We would have been able to maybe make some move, or at least we would have been realistic enough to maybe say when AD comes back, that we might have a realistic shot because we have pieces around him that fit in terms of what uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis need. But no, you guys didn't want to do that. No, you guys wanted to bring in your buddy Russell Westbrook and bring in another star and bring in another guy who could handle the ball and bring in another guy who could score points and bring in another guy that could uh, share the line, share of the responsibility that uh, LeBron and AD have. So, you know, you said bye-bye Kyle Kuzma. You said bye-bye KCP. You didn't re-sign Alex Caruso. You didn't re-sign Montrez Harold. You didn't do any of these things. Now you go out, you get the team that you wanted. You get the player that you wanted. Now all of a sudden you're blaming me. You're blaming the management. You're putting us on notice with some of these passive aggressive, aggressive statements. You're putting us on notice LeBron, I got some news for you, man. While you're still a great player, you're not that same player anymore the first go-around at Cleveland. You're not that same player that you were in Miami. You're not that guy anymore. Now, we would love to have you. You're still a top-10 player, no doubt about it. But, hey, man, the, the days of you being able to uh, 
take a team that doesn't fit or take a team that might not be as talented or take a team and put them on your shoulders and carry them to a championship. Those days are gone. Those days are gone. You were hoping, we were hoping that maybe, and maybe this is one of the reasons why LeBron fought the Lakers management or suggested, strongly suggested to, uh, go ahead and make the trade for Russell Westbrook. Maybe there was a situation where they thought that, you know what, I might not be that guy anymore that I was my second go-around in Cleveland and definitely not in my physical prime that I was in Miami to uh, put a team on my back and carry them to a championship. But I have enough in the tank, and I have my man Anthony Davis, who's, what, 27, 28 years old, who's now ready to make that leap, who's now ready to have that responsibility. Not saying that he had to do what I had to do uh, when I was with Miami or when I was with Cleveland, but, you know, in Cleveland, the second time around, I had Kyrie and I had Kevin Love. When at my Miami days, I had Chris Bosh and I had Dwayne Wade. Now going to my uh, going to the Lakers, we already won the championship with AD doing the thing. Now it could be a situation where now it, I'm ready to pass the mantle. I'm now ready to have... Anthony Davis assumed the role. As mentioned before on many of my podcasts, you know, there always comes a time with an all-time great player, whether it be Wilt Chamberlain deciding that he doesn't need to be scoring 35 points and winning scoring championships anymore, so he kind of rounded out his game to concentrate more on block shots and rebounding in that season in 66-67. The Philadelphia 76ers won the NBA championship with one of the best teams up until that time going 68 and 13 whether it was a situation when Wilt went to the Lakers and solely concentrated on defensive and rebounding so uh, players like Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and Gail Goodridge and Jim McMillan and Happy Harrison could do their thing and in 71 72 69 and 13 the Lakers and Chamberlain and Jerry West won a championship Chamberlain is second, Jerry West at first. When you're speaking about David Robinson being the cornerstone, being the face of the franchise, face of the face of the San Antonio Spurs, being the face of San Antonio, Texas, haven't won a championship yet. He got Tim Duncan and he said, shit, I don't need to be doing this all by myself anymore. Here are the reins. Here is the responsibilities, TD. You go ahead and you get me this championship and I'll be I'll be more than happy to be your Robin to your Batman, whether it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar finally saying, you know what, we can't slow it down and just throw it to me in the post every single time. Let's get magic and let's have him uh, increase his scoring average from 17 points to 24 points. And because of that, it gave another fresh last chapter to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his career, won him a couple of more championships and elevated Magic Johnson past Larry Bird to being the best player of his generation. Whether it was Tim Duncan after being swept by the Phoenix Suns and Goran Dragic picking, rolling them to death to uh, having San Antonio be swept, that it was it, the decision was made to diversify the offense more and start the transformation from the San Antonio Spurs being a plotting twin tower, throwing into Tim Duncan time after time after time again to seeing the beautiful game of basketball, three-point shooting that he devolved to around Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, whether it was Dwayne Wade, uh, giving up the reins and being the man in Miami when LeBron came along after the Mavericks beat the uh, the Miami Heat four to two in that first uh, the first uh, uh, season with Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LBJ, and it was a situation where hey man, Dwayne Wade was like, look, this, you're the best player on this team. 
You got to be the man. You got to be the person on this team. Throughout history, there have been great, great, all of fame, all-time great basketball players in NBA who have succeeded that reign, that title of being the man, being the franchise player, being the person, the face of the franchise and all that type of stuff. They succeeded that responsibility to that young buck, to that next player, to that younger player and say, hey man, this is all you, let's see you go ahead and get this done. That was supposed to be the situation with Anthony Davis, with LeBron James this season. It didn't happen. If it did happen, I think not only would the Lakers be much better off, I think that the play of Russell Westbrook has suffered because of the lack of, oh, I I, I guess you could say that uh, Anthony Davis has regressed this year. Definitely not living up to the responsibility I think that the Lakers were hoping or making that step forward that the Lakers thought that he was going to take. So, hey, man, it's a, it's a crazy season. It's a crazy season for the Lakers. The drama continues, but everybody's speaking about should they trade? Not everybody, but a lot of people. There's been scuttlebutt. There's been thoughts and opinions and talking talking points about should we trade Anthony Davis? Are they going to trade LeBron James? Hey, man, LeBron James is not that guy anymore. LeBron James is not that guy anymore. And with the situation with the Lakers and him coming out and talking about when Bronny reaches the NBA in 2024, what are my deals is to play with him and all that type of stuff. I'm like, if I'm Genie and those guys, I'm like, you know what, man? Fantastic. Because I know the Lakers organization is all about stars. But remember, they drafted El- Elgin Baylor when he was in Minneapolis, even before he came to L.A. Uh, they drafted Jerry West. They acquired Wilt Chamberlain at the end of his career. They drafted Kobe Bryant. They Free agent, uh, they offer free agency. They got uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Um, yes, the Lakers have been about stars, but the, the Lakers have also been about winning championships with those stars. Are you speaking about the trade that brought them Abdul Jabbar, the drafting of Magic Johnson, the drafting of James Worthy, the drafting of Byron Scott, and because of the drafting of Byron Scott, you trade Norm Nixon to the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, how those teams were built, how those teams were con- con- uh, put together. It resulted in championships. Now, the acquisition of LeBron James, the acquisition of Anthony Davis and building around that squad with the pandemic, those guys playing in the bubble and winning themselves a championship, yeah, that, that that's great and that's wonderful. But the way things are looking right now, if Anthony Davis can't reach that level of being the man, which many people thought that he would be this generation's Tim Duncan, if he can't come close to that, which this season he hasn't, What's having Le- what's what's the good of having LeBron James on your team if you're the Lakers? Now, look, I'm not saying that they should trade him or anything crazy like that. The only reason why I'm saying that is if when he starts making these passive aggressive, like you know, you're on the clock, you need to make us better, you need to do whatever we need to do, you need to forfeit your future to make sure that you give us the best chance to win this championship. So if that means in 2028 when I'm playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers or I'm owning the new organization or I'm owning the new NBA squad that's going to be in Las Vegas or whatever I'm doing, if I screw your future so we can try to win a championship now and I'm not that guy as far as LeBron James is concerned that can deliver that championship all by myself or with a little bit of help or with the mulchrum of help from Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook and stuff, then, hey, look, man, your your threats and your passive-aggressive uh, talks, for me, they're going to fall on deaf, deaf ears. And if this is going to be the squad moving forward, I'm going to have to make the decision. Am I going to build this team around 
Anthony Davis? Are we going to have these talks? Because I'm going to anger LeBron, and I'm going to anger uh, Clutch Sports, and I'm going to anger uh, these guys and their clients, and they're going to throw a hissy fit and, and those type of things. What are we going to do moving forward? I know one thing. We, we can't mortgage our future. We can't give up a 2027 pick. One of the few, if only, first round picks that we have for the next, oh, I don't know, decade to uh, see what we can do to acquire John Wall. Because acquiring John Wall is not going to leapfrog us from mediocrity to being contenders for the NBA championship. So, man, as I mentioned before, man, I sounded uh, a lot of stuff moving forward in the uh, in the NBA. A lot of drama going on in L.A. A lot of speculation going on in L.A. A lot of uh, must-see in the Eastern Conference. Man, I didn't even get a chance to talk about the Miami Heat. I didn't give a chance about to uh, talk about the... Chicago Bulls, I didn't get a chance to talk about the other contenders. Man, I didn't even get a chance to talk about John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. But uh, I just thought that these uh, topics, the main topics, playing the hits, the most recognizable, the most interesting, the most juicy, the most delicious in terms of uh, talking points when you're speaking about the 76ers acquiring James Harden, how well is he going to play? When exactly is Ben Simmons going to get on the court for the Brooklyn Nets, and how is he going to mesh with Kyrie and KD? And, of course, whenever you've got the global icon and the global superstar still, one of the most recognizable names in the on the planet, LeBron James, and what's going on in L.A., you have to uh, mention and say something. So, yeah, man. The NBA, it's always fantastic. And with the stuff that's going down, it is always quite interesting. Last segment of the podcast, the last segment of the program. Good morning, good abend, que pasa, bonjour, bonsoir, namaste, shalom, wassalam, alaikum, konnichiwa, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Going to end the segment by speaking about the loves of my life in terms of sports is concerned. My, my Georgetown Hoyas, team that I've loved for over 40 years, a team that I will always love for 40 years, no matter if they're winning championships, no matter if they're also rans, no matter if they're irrelevant, or in the case of this season and currently with the program, they're worse than that. I will always love till death do us part when it comes to my love and affection for the Georgetown Hoyas. And even when I die, I'll still be up in heaven, hopefully, watching my Georgetown Hoyas play and saying, Lord, you couldn't go ahead and get us a five-star shooting guard? We still can't shoot! So, um, yeah, that's going to be my deal speaking about the uh, program, which, again... Eric Sky Shelton, John Bebe Duran, Mike, Mike Hancock, Ed Spriggs, Patrick Ewing, the player and coach, 
David Wingate, Reggie Williams, Michael Jackson, not he, he, Michael Jackson, but the point guard Michael Jackson of those championship teams, Horace Brocknex, Billy Martin, Anthony Jones for a little bit until he transferred to a UNLV with Tarkanian, uh, Perry McDonald, um, Oh, I don't know, man. We just keep going and going and going. Otto Porter, Robert Churchill, Jahidi White, of course, Allen Iverson, Dikembe Mutombo, Dwayne Bryant, Mark Tillman. Um, did I mention Allen Iverson? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're speaking about the long litany of just great, great basketball players at Georgetown. And when I was growing up, Georgetown was the uh, what the squad, man. Georgetown was the Americana. Georgetown was the shit. I mean, Georgetown was the uh, thing to be. So Georgetown... As of right now, I understand this ain't the 1980s anymore. I get it. I understand it. But, uh, you know, the love of my Hoyas, more than the Bullets, now Wizards, more than the Washington, used to be Redskins, now Commanders, more than the Washington Capitals, more than the Baltimore Orioles, because that was the only baseball team that was around when I was growing up, and now with the Washington Nationals, more than the Lefty Drizel University of Maryland basketball teams that had Ben Coleman and Adrian Branch and my hero of all heroes growing up athletically outside of Muhammad Ali and Magic Johnson, Len Bias, when you're speaking about Larry Graham, when you're speaking about Keith Gatlin, when you're speaking about all those teams, even me spending a week, multiple years at the Lefty Drizel basketball camp, still, my love for my Georgetown Hoyas and John Thompson has never waned, has never cracked, has never, uh, I've never wavered, but, uh, this is awful, man, this season has been absolutely, positively, undeniably awful, embarrassing, I don't know what other words you can put in there, but, uh, it's been a joke, I was watching the, uh, Connecticut game on Saturday, which I always do, did they play on Saturday or Sunday, I don't know, man, but, uh, again, they were beaten, Soundly, don't let the uh, score indicate how close it was, even though it wasn't 86-77 to UConn. Right now this season, they're 6-22. and If I could just take a look at some of the record books here, they've had the most losses. Well, the most losses were 23 in 1971-72. Uh, Currently, they're at 22, but they will leapfrog that when they, well, they will tie that on Wednesday when they get blown out at Seton Hall. And then when they lose decisively uh, this weekend against Xavier, they will have accomplished the feat of going 6-24, and 24, which is going to be the most losses in one season in the program. The most losses in Big East currently they own, which is 17, so they'll go 0-19 for the season. The most home losses, they finish their Regular season with about 4,000, 5,000 people on senior senior night against uh, Connecticut. And so their home losses now are 11. They haven't won a game since they beat Howard back in December. This team is probably the least talented basketball team as far as the major six conferences are concerned. When you're speaking about major basketball conferences, I'm not speaking about low level, I'm not even speaking about mid-major, but when you're speaking about SEC, you're speaking about Pac-12, or you're speaking about the Big Ten and the ACC and the Big 12 and such, I think if Georgetown played in any of those conferences, I don't know if they would be old, but I know in terms of wins in conference are concerned, the most I can maybe give them would be two. If they played in any other conference, as far as the major co uh, major power conferences are concerned, the Big East is a pretty strong conference. But you know, in the ACC, they they might, they might, they might get lucky and win one game. In the Big Ten, they might get lucky and win one game. Might, 
But in all circumstances, they would be just as bad playing anywhere else. If they were playing in the WCC, if they were playing in the Mountain West, if they were playing in the AAC, if they were playing in a mid-major conference, they would probably be near the bottom or at the bottom of those conferences. They, they don't even need to play in a major conference to be at the bottom. They're, 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 they are the least talented basketball team in terms of the fire, uh, Power 5 conferences going out there. And yes, I think in the Pac-12... In terms of record, Oregon State, I think, is also a team which is just putrid. I think they've won maybe four or five games or something like that and, only, and has won one conference game. But I think in terms of uh, there's very few teams in any conference anywhere that is that hasn't won a game. And we're sitting there, we haven't won a game, and we're not going to win a game. We're not going to win a game. And for the most part, we haven't even been close. I mean, okay, you could take DePaul, which had been perennial downtrodden, a downtrodden program for years. You can maybe take a look at the close game that they had at uh, Providence. Maybe you could take a look at the close game they had against Butler. But for for the most part, this team has been blown out, and this team has been blown out with consistency. When you're speaking about losing to uh, 28 to uh, Marquette 92-64, when you're taking about when you talk about the drubbing that they received at the hands of Connecticut on the road, 96-73. to When you take a look at the embarrassment of being outscored, what, 26 nothing or 30-2 to against DePaul and them losing by eight on the road. When you speak about, they're, they're, not even, they're not even competitive. They weren't competitive against Connecticut. They weren't competitive against St. John's. They weren't competitive against Seton Hall. They weren't competitive against Providence at home. They weren't competitive against Villanova for the most part. Villanova was playing their C-D game. That game on the road, the last time that they played Villanova, nobody, nobody watching that basketball game had any, any thought of that Georgetown was going to win that game. Even though they kept it a couple of possession game, even though they kept it the deficit under 10 points, which for those guys is a miracle. The fact that Georgetown, they can keep any team uh, within, within uh, single figures. But, but nobody watching that basketball game thought that Georgetown was going to win that game. Never. Never. So this is where the program stands right now. This is where the program is at right now. And of course it turns to Patrick Ewing. Should Patrick Ewing continue to be the coach of this team? Now, if his name wasn't Patrick Ewing, we, we all know this. If this wasn't Georgetown, and if this was Providence or Seton Hall or Xavier or Butler or Kansas State or Illinois or Clemson or... Washington State or anybody else, this would be a foregone conclusion that the coach for this team, as with the record that he's had over the past five seasons, he would be gone. He would be finished. There, there, there's no way after finishing a season 6-24 and 24 and finishing 0-19 in conference play, after four years of having a record that's a few, that, that, that's games under 500, there's no way, no how, that a coach could withstand that type of ineptitude for that amount of time, for that 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 uh, length of time. But he's Patrick Ewing, and, and I will say this. I think Patrick Ewing is a good coach. Now, you can look at me sideways, and you can take a look at me and say bias. You can take a look at all those things. This is the reason why I say Patrick Ewing is a good coach, but Patrick Ewing needs to be fired. Record-wise, you just can't go on. And there's there's no help. There, there is no help along the way. I mean, we don't have a we don't have four five star 
going to be lottery picks coming in next season. Our recruiting class is Dante Bass, who's a three-star recruit out of Mississippi, I think. Is it Mississippi, Georgia? What are those two? And Denver Anglin, a four-star recruit who's somewhere in the 80s. A great shooter, about 6'2", can play the point, can play the shooting guard, but but that's it. We, we, we don't have... We don't have a Chris Levingston coming in this season or next season. We don't have, you know, three or four guys that are going to turn this program around because they have the talent to uh, play in the NBA extremely quickly to pair with Aminu Muhammad and others to uh, turn this program around. We don't. There's there's nothing on the horizon which screams that we're going to get back to even, <laughs> I mean, the team that we have coming back next season, even with the additions, I, I don't think. We could win five games in conference play. I really don't. And and I have no idea who's coming back and who's leaving and and what the uh, uh, next season looks like for teams like Providence, who's right now 14-2 and two and 24-3, and three, and Villanova, who's ranked number eight in the country, who's parentally, parentally uh, always good, Connecticut, Creighton, Marquette. I, I, don't, I don't know what these guys are bringing back. Seton Hall, Xavier, St. John's, Butler. I don't know what these guys are bringing back. I, I know this, though. I know that next season with the team that we got coming back, we're not going to beat those teams. I don't give a damn who leaves and who goes for Providence or Connecticut or Seton Hall or Butler, even DePaul. It doesn't matter. We're not going to win. We're not going to be competitive. We're just not. If we bring back the same group that we have this season, this team talent-wise is the worst in Division One basketball. And that's where... Patrick Ewing is going to uh, fail as a coach. Patrick Ewing can coach. All right? Uh, there's, there's, there's too many people out there who know how to coach who have said that Patrick Ewing can coach. This is not about Patrick Ewing being a bad game manager or being a bad X's and O guy or a situation like that where he, he can't go out there and coach. He, he has proven that he can do that. When you spend 15 years in the NBA as an assistant you're, and you're learning from Steve Clifford, and you're learning from the Van Gundys, and you're learning from Pat Riley, and you learn from those type of guys. Yeah, you just by, just by hanging, just by osmosis, you can go ahead and pick up some things. So this is this is not the coach, Patrick Ewing failing Patrick Ewing in terms of if he gets fired, his development of players. If you take a look at Jamarco Pickett, if you take a look at Javon Blair. If you take a look at the short amount of time, what he got out of James Akinjo and Matt McClung and Josh LeBlanc, and you take a look at the uh, Biggie's freshmen, those who have made the all-freshman team and such under John Thompson. This is not a, excuse me, under Patrick Ewing. This is not a situation where Coach Ewing can't develop players. There's been much praise for Ewing, the coach, in what they see out of Jamarco Pickett in the pros about how, you know what, when he came in to our uh, program or when he, you know, when he was drafted and he's going two ways, he's going back and forth with the Detroit Pistons, but Dwayne Casey and those guys, they lauded uh, Ewing for the fact that, you know what, when Pickett came in, I mean, he was rip roaring ready to go in terms of being a professional, being, you know, having the fundamentals, the basic fundamentals of playing NBA basketball. He was taught very well in his four years at Georgetown. So uh, this is a situation where Patrick Ewing can't Patrick Ewing can't develop players. Patrick Ewing can't coach. Patrick Ewing can't recruit. And it's not a situation where 
he hasn't tried hard enough. This is not like Clyde Drexler, his one year at Houston, where he didn't give a damn. This is not a situation where this is Chris Mullen at St. John's, where he checked out full force. His the last a couple of years as the coach at St. John's. This is not a situation of Patrick Ewing not putting in the work, not putting in the time, not putting in the effort to going ahead and do these things. But he just doesn't have any talent. For, for those who are yelling and screaming about Patrick Ewing, the coach, not Patrick Ewing, the recruiter, not Patrick Ewing, the program builder, but Patrick Ewing, the coach, you, you, you tell me with the talent that these guys, the, the talent that's on this team, and yes, of course it comes down to Patrick Ewing, but I'm just saying, in terms of the argument that Patrick Ewing can't coach, you tell me which coach out there in college basketball right now that could get anything, that could get anything out of the dreck that he has right now in this program, as far as talent is concerned. You tell me which coach right now that could get seven wins, seven conference wins out of this group. Name them. Bill Self couldn't. Mike Krzyzewski couldn't. Mickey Cronin couldn't. Ed Cooley couldn't. Hubert Davis couldn't. Um, I don't, Chris Beard couldn't. There's nobody out there. There's nobody. Nobody out there that could get anything out of this talent. He doesn't have any talent. Jay Wright couldn't get anything out of this talent. If Jay Wright was playing with Patrick Ewing's players and Patrick Ewing was playing with Jay Wright's players, the situation would be the same in terms of the dominance that uh, one team would have over the other. It's not a situation where Jay Wright can take his players and beat Patrick Ewing with his players and then... Uh, Jay Wright could take Patrick Ewing's players and beat Patrick Ewing with Jay Wright's players. It's not a situation like this. The talent at Georgetown sucks. Sucks. So maybe moving forward, if they keep him, the only bright hope is that, hey, look, man, if you're going to keep this guy and maybe give him one more year to do something, first of all, we have to be very defined in what our expectations are. Because, of course, Georgetown, who takes everything, who keeps everything secretive because they still believe this is the 1980s, I mean, there, there, there's no transparency from this university. There's no transparency. There's no trust. There's no openness toward the fans, toward the fan base, toward the alumni, toward the former players regarding this uh, regarding this basketball program. So I, I would love to just hear if they're going to retain them. Hey, man, give this man some parameters to say, look, you've got to come up. You've got to win this many games. You've got to accomplish this or else we got to let you go. I mean, you're Patrick Ewing. No one's going to hate you. No one's going to uh, be mad at you. They still love Clyde Drexler down in Houston. They still love Chris Mullen at St. John's. They, you know, they, 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 that's, that's not the point. They're gonna, they, that's not the point. The point is that you got to win. And right now, Georgetown is... I, I'm trying to... Georgetown is a, couple level, uh, is a couple levels below irrelevant. If we could just make it to the irrelevant, we, that, that, would be, that would be doing something. That would be an improvement. But as of right now, we're the worst team in college basketball, and it's not even close as far as the Power 5 conferences is, is concerned. And for Georgetown to still keep thinking that this is the 1980s, that they're at that level, and they can keep conducting business like they do, no! No, is it Patrick Ewing's fault? Yes, but this is a complete program failure. From the athletic director to Ronnie Thompson, who I don't know what the hell he does with the program, to everybody, from the coach, the assistant coach, and the players. And this is a program that we should be doing quite well. We're in a, we, we still have that name brand. We have the facilities. 
We have the recruiting budget. We have the uh, the, the area, the DMV, the Maryland, Virginia, the, the uh, Washington metropolitan area. We still have players that we can recruit. We still have strong um, players that we don't need to be flying around the country to try and get. We can go ahead and do that. We don't need to be trying to you know, match Kentucky and Duke and these guys for how many five-stars that we can get. Head, Ed Cooley is doing great work. He doesn't have a boatload of five-star guys on this team. Jay Wright has been winning championships. He doesn't have a boatload of one-and-done players on this team. Mark Few has been doing great work out there in Gonzaga for years. He doesn't have a bunch of one-and-done players on this team. So we don't need to go out there and just hog and just, just hoard you know, our, our recruiting success or what dictates should be, uh, what, what could be a successful season is how many five-star recruits that we have. No, but man, we can't go in there and we can't go into a gunfight with a butter knife like Colin Holloway or Dante Harris or Timothy Ego F.A. or Caden Rice. Guys, these guys weren't recruited by anybody. They weren't recruited by anybody who can play in the Power 5 conferences. Colin Holloway, who starts for us, he wouldn't be getting any time at teams that were serious about winning championships and teams who are serious about winning national championships or conference championships or just making the NCAA tournament. Dante Harris wouldn't be starting for any of the 68 teams that would be that are uh, that would be in the NCAA tournament. Timothy Eagle FA wouldn't even be wouldn't even get a scholarship from most of these teams. And he's our starting center. So Patrick Ewing, Patrick Ewing needs a recruiter, man. I mean, Patrick Ewing needs a recruiter. He's been in the game long enough to where he doesn't need to lean on Louis Orr anymore about what I can and can't get away with because of NCAA rules. He should already know the NCAA rules and bylines of what he can and what he can't do inside and outside, front and back, north and south, east and west, and everything else in between. So he doesn't need Louis Orr his longtime assistant and friend, to uh, help him out. He needs to do what Jim Harbaugh, if, it, if he's going to be the coach of Georgetown moving forward, and he's going to have want any opportunity to save his job, he's going to have to do what Jim Harbaugh did, which is basically, man, go ahead and get some recruits or get some assistant coaches who are young, who can connect with the younger group, he, can, he needs to get, I don't know, whether it be an AAU coach, whether it be, I don't know what it's going to be. He needs somebody that, who's young, who's energetic, that's going to go out and he's going to recruit, 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 and bring in some flipping talent. Bring in some talent, man. Bring in some young cats who are going to help him get some of these young cats from the DMV, man. Go ahead and start making some inroads at DeMatha. Go ahead and start building relationships with Austin Freeman, who right now is the coach at DeMatha Catholic, who had always has a boatload of Div- Division One uh, basketball prospects ready, rip-roaring, and ready to go. Man, we, we need some of those guys. We need to start building relationships, true relationships to where we can start bringing them some talent. Some real talent, because even with talent that's not five-star, we saw what Patrick Ewing did with Matt McClung. We saw who was a three-star recruit. We saw what he did with Josh LeBlanc, who was in the top 90. We saw what he did with James Kinjo, who was a four-star recruit. We saw what he did with Cutis Wahab. We, we, we've seen what Patrick Ewing can do with talent on his roster. Now, they don't stay. Omir Yurt 7 doing great work for the Miami Heat. He made big leaps and strides with Ewing as his coach for one season. So again, this is nothing. This has nothing to do with Patrick Ewing not being able to coach. This has everything to do with Patrick Ewing not being able to build and maintain a successful basketball program in college. What does that 
entail. It entails that you recruit. It entails that you bring in talent, number one and number two, and you develop that talent and you develop a philosophy and you do your thing as an X's and O's coach. So, Patrick Ewing, if we're going to uh, continue with this with this relationship, that's what we're going to have to do. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. I am... Whew, I'm depressed after talking about... <laughs> I'm depressed after talking about Georgetown. But, uh, hey, man, I'm still with them. I still love them. They're, they're like your kids, right? I mean, they're like your kids. No matter how screwed up they are, no matter how, how many times they failed you, no matter how much of a, an embarrassment they become, you, you, you always do something in terms of, they're st- that's still my team, man. That's, those are still my kids. Gotta love them. I don't like what they become, but I still gotta love them. A team that, man, they made the uh, Final Four in 2007, haven't made the second weekend of the NCAA tournament since. Teams posted one running, winning record in the last seven years and a grand total of two NCAA wins in the past 13 seasons combined. Man, this stuff goes by fast. <laughs> but uh, I'm out of here, man. Hey, everybody, hey, do me a favor, will you? I usually do this at the beginning of the podcast, but um, do me a favor, will you? Can we uh, see what we can do to move this world, to move your society, to move your space in the right direction in terms of uh, love, peace, unity? And my thoughts and prayers are with the folks of Ukraine Keep fighting strong for those in Russia who are opposing, taking their lives and taking their livelihood into uh, into consequence, into danger by uh, protesting what Russia is doing. Continue to do what you're doing. Continue to show strength. Continue to show the folks here in this country what um, real strength and um, what real strength in inner strength is all about, man. We, we we're, 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 This country, we're flipping out if we're asking you to put a, a mask on for any amount of time. These folks in Ukraine, what they're going through, and the folks in Russia who are protesting what Russia is going through, man, you got my, you got my love and you got my respect. So uh, let's see what we can do to um, move this world in a positive direction with peace, love, unity, harmony. Man, have that conversation with folks from a different race, from a different gender who might worship a different God than you if they worship a God at all, someone of a different political affiliation, someone of a different financial background, someone different side of the world, someone from a different side of the track in your country, in your state, in your region, in your part of the woods. Let's see what we can do that, man, so we can go ahead and move this country in the direction that it should be. So for the younger generation, they can live in a utopian society where truly you are based on who you are, as a human being, as far as your character and your heart and the love that you have for others. If we could just kind of set that foundation for our children and do something that we haven't been able to do for our generation, I think that would be fantastic. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Get me out of here with my music. (laughs) 